Hey friends, welcome back to another episode of the Bible in Life. I'm so glad that you could join me on this episode. We have listeners all over the world, and it's sort of an international family that we're a part of here on the Bible in Life. In fact, this past week, uh, one evening, I don't quite know what motivated it, but there were 31 downloads in Hong Kong. So if you're listening in Hong Kong, welcome to the Bible in Life, and welcome to the Bible in Life family. So grateful for you. A little closer here at home, back in the States, um, it's Memorial Day weekend, and uh, that's really kind of a time for family and barbecues, and even to remember just some of the sacrifice of soldiers from the past. And and so I hope you had a great Memorial Day. Um, and if you were able to spend time with your family, man, what a blessing that is. And so to those of you who have kids at home uh, and were able to enjoy just a, a day off with them. Wonderful. Savor that. Enjoy that. You never know how long that's going to last. So savor those moments and enjoy that. And Memorial Day here in the States is really sort of like the official kickoff of summer. And so we really enter into the summer season. And one of the things that had me thinking about is, at least I know in the part of the country I'm in, it's, you know, people go out camping, they go on vacation, they travel. And that can make it really difficult to to get to church, and you can kind of just lose rhythm and all of that. And one of the best ways to stay connected to Jesus and to continue just to feed your own soul is something like this, like this podcast or other resources like this. And so I encourage you this summer as you travel and camp and whatever, don't totally disconnect from uh, the Bible. Don't totally disconnect from the Word of God, but um, while you're enjoying God's creation and enjoying family and all of that, make sure you stay connected and take the Bible and Life podcast with you or other resources like that where you can listen and grow and learn and feed your own soul. And one of the most important uh, tips I could give you on that is that it's important for you to make sure you're cultivating your own walk with God, your own relationship with Jesus, that you're really feeding your own soul by reading the Bible and praying consistently. You know, I became a Christian when I was in high school, and one of the best things that ever happened to me was that the pastor's wife of the church I was going to had these little worksheets just to help people get started reading the Bible right from the beginning. And man, that changed my life, and I would really uh, encourage that for you. I'd want that for you, that you could have that same experience of reading the Bible and praying about what you're reading regularly. Um, and one of the best ways to do that is just to read a chapter a day or read a, you know, a paragraph or two out of the Bible day and then pray about something that uh, you, you've read. And if you want some help getting started with that, over on my website, I've got a resource just called the number one key to being changed by the Bible, the number one key to being changed by the Bible. And it can help you really get started reading the Bible with both head and heart and help the Bible really become the centerpiece of your life. And so that's at my website, johnwhitaker.net. I'll put a link to my website down in the notes below so you can swing over and check that out. I would encourage you to, to just uh, sign up for that, put your email address in, we'll send you a link to it so you can you can check that out. So it'll help you read the Bible with both head and heart so that you can be really rooted and grounded in God and in Christ and your relationship with Him can continue to grow. All right, we've been in a little series where we're just looking at some of the ways the Bible paints the picture of what our hope is as God's people. And the reason we're doing that is because for too long in the church, we have basically minimized, reduced our hope to just going to heaven when you die, 
uh, the Bible describes our hope in much greater terms than that, much bigger, broader terms than that. So we don't want to reduce it to that. And not only have we kind of reduced it down to just that, we rarely ever talk about it. And as a result, our hope isn't the engine for our spiritual life that it's intended to be. And so we're just walking through various passages in most of the New Testament. Last week, we looked at the book of Isaiah that paint pictures of our hope. And today we want to look at a a picture that's out of the book of Revelation that paints really a, in a lot of ways, a very beautiful picture of our hope, something that we should fill our mind with and look forward to. But in order to understand that picture, we have to kind of go back to the very beginning of the Bible so that we can understand why the book of Revelation and the Apostle John paints the picture that he does, all right? But first, I want you to picture maybe one of the most beautiful places you've ever visited. Maybe it's local. Maybe it's a park or a canyon or someplace locally where you live. Maybe it's someplace you've had the chance to travel to on vacation. What's one of the most beautiful places in your experience? Picture it. What do you see? What do you feel? What does it look like? All right, so that that picture of this beautiful place on earth, maybe it's uh, maybe it's a park with beautiful gardens. Maybe it's the beach and the beautiful sea. Maybe it's the mountains and a river and trees. Maybe high mountain lakes. Um, what is one of the most beautiful places you've ever ever visited? And along with that, I want you to maybe imagine just this idea of harmony, tranquility, peace, Rest of soul. Picture that. Feel that. Okay? Now, with that in mind, let's turn to the very beginning of the Bible and hear where the whole human story begins. All right? The whole human story begins in Genesis chapters 1 and 2 with God making uh, the whole world and then making mankind for it. Listen to what he says. Then the Lord God formed a man, a human, from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. And here is the beginning of human existence. This is the beginning of the human story. And notice how up close and personal it is. God is intimately involved in this. God's not distant and far off. God is involved so much so it's almost like he's giving a mouth-to-mouth resuscitation, right? He's He's breathing into him the breath of life, and the man becomes a living being, more literally a living soul. Now, where is this man, this human being, going to live? Well, God planted a garden. Verse 8, Genesis chapter 2 says, Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east in Eden, the Garden of Eden, right? And there he put this man that he had formed. This is going to be the home for uh, this, this man, all right? And you have to imagine... This garden, this is a hand-planted garden by God. It is beautiful. It is gorgeous, lush, green, uh, unbelievable beauty. So that most beautiful place you've ever been is like an echo of the Garden of Eden, right? It is 
sort of like a, a remnant of the Garden of Eden. It is a beautiful kind of leftover that maybe is a, a, a shadow of what the Garden of Eden was. And so as beautiful as that place is, it doesn't hold a candle to the beauty of the Garden of Eden. And so God puts the man in the Garden of Eden. And then the Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. And so it's beautiful and it's wonderful. And the fruit of these trees is ripe and luscious and sweet and crisp and wonderful. This is a, a beautiful place. Um, in the middle of the garden, there was the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of the good and of evil. And there was a river in this garden that flowed uh, out of this garden from Eden. Now, this is where the whole story of human existence begins, and it's in this most absolute stunning, beautiful place. Up close and personal with their creator God, there is harmony, there is peace, there is tranquility. We know from another part of the story of this that God looked at this and said, this is wonderful, this is good, but it's not good for man to be alone. And so he makes a woman that we were made for community and for relationship with other humans. And so he makes a woman and brings him to brings her to man. And so you have this perfect place, perfect relationships, wonderful harmony. Um, that's where the story begins. Now, if you're familiar with the biblical story, you know that that's not really where the story stays. That's where it begins, but it doesn't take long. In the Shortly after this description, um, Adam and Eve, the first two humans, are tempted and succumb to temptation, and that leads to all sorts of chaos. And so now their relationship is marked by tension and shame. The relationship with God is marked by tension and shame. That is the beginning of really the demise of the human story. And so when you read the news and when you see the brokenness in our world and you see the shame, the hostility, the anger, the greed, and all the brokenness in our world, that starts right there as well. Well, that's the beginning of the human story in this beautiful, wonderful place that God pronounced very good with harmony and goodness that soon is disrupted by the serpent and by temptation and by sin and by revolt against the creator and the shame and the brokenness that ensues. That's the beginning of the biblical story. And remembering it's a story is so important. So often we think of the Bible more as like a rule book or we think of it as, I don't know, something else, but it's fundamentally a story. And this is the beginning of the story. So we have where the story begins. We have the crisis of this, the plot where now mankind is in chaos and their relationship with God is, is severed and the intimacy is lost and shame and hurt and blame and finger pointing and brokenness now marks this world. That is the crisis of the story. And the rest of the Bible is how is God going to solve the story? Where is this story going to go? And where is this story going to end? up and how is God going to solve this? And the reason that's so important is the next passage we want to look at as we continue to wrestle with our hope because our hope is the culmination of this story. And to understand uh, where our story ends, we had to hear the beginning and be reminded of the beginning. So now with that in mind, listen to these words from Revelation 22. Let me set the context, since we don't have time to look at the whole passage. But in this 
context, what has happened is there's uh, now been that new heavens and new earth. We've already talked about that in the series on hope, that God's plan is not for us to go to heaven when we die ultimately, but for heaven to come to earth and there to be a renewed, restored earth. So here in Revelation 21 and 22, that new earth has now come and Jerusalem, which represents the city of God, has come down out of heaven and has been planted on earth. And so now we have the new Jerusalem planted on this new earth. That's the picture where we're at in Revelation. And Revelation 22 then picks up this way, uh, this great city, the new Jerusalem, coming to this new earth. And it says, then the angel, who's been John's tour guide through the book of Revelation, through all the visions that he's seeing. So then the angel, John writes, showed me the river of life as clear as crystal flowing from the throne of God and from the throne of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. So the city is the new Jerusalem, and there's this this main street through the city, and in the middle of that, John sees this crystal clear, beautiful river that's flowing down the middle of the city, the source of which of this river that is known as the river of life. The source of that is God himself and his own throne and his just, wise, good, loving rule over the world. Now, remember, um, the passage at the beginning of the Bible ended with a river that flowed out of the Garden of Eden. And here we have a river flowing from the throne of God through the new Jerusalem. There's a new river, the river of the water of life. John continues to to paint the picture of what he sees, and it says this, On each side of the river um, there stood the tree of life. And so you have apparently, as I understand what John's describing, if I try to picture it, you have trees lining this river, and they are the tree of life. And so the water of the river of life, um, lined by the tree of life, and this these trees of life bear 12 crops of fruit. Why 12? Well, John says it yields its fruit every month. In other words, there's never a season where the tree of life isn't bearing life-giving fruit, food. Um, that the tree of life is producing its crops year-round, every month, giving life to everything and everyone. And the leaves on these trees are for the, listen to this phrase, the healing of the nations. All that brokenness, all that shame, all that heartache, all that pain, all that finger pointing, all that international strife, all that interpersonal strife, all of that, all the wounds that people of the nations have suffered, all of that are healed from the leaves of this tree. No longer, John writes, verse 3, no longer will, will there be any curse. The curse of Genesis 3, the curse that came into this world because of mankind's disloyalty to their creator, the curse that brought pain, heartache, brokenness, disease, despair, and death, that curse is eliminated on the new earth in this new city as God brings the water of life and the tree of life back to the world. That's the picture that's being painted in Revelation 22. And then John goes on to to describe what else he sees. He sees the throne of God and the throne of the Lamb in this city. Uh, And 
His servants, God's servants, those who are his people, will serve him. They will worship him. They will do his will. They will What he wants done in this city and in the new earth will get done. They will serve him faithfully and loyally, and they will see his face. They will see the face of God himself. And God's name, his name will be on their foreheads, which that's a, a picture of them belonging to him, being marked as his and listen, there will, there will be no more night. And I don't know if we should take that literally or if we should take that symbolically. When it says there will no, be no more night, night is the time of darkness. Night is the time when uh, evil flourishes uh, in the biblical story. Night is the time when discouragement and despair uh, overwhelms people. But there's joy in the morning, right? So night has more than just you know, the day and night's uh, significance. Night also has the sense of all of that, all that brokenness and down, all that's wrong with the world happens at night and is associated with night. So there'll be no more night. And so whether it's both literal uh, and figurative or just figurative or literal, I'm not totally sure. But I think the point is in parallel with there'll be no more curse, there'll also be no more darkness and no more night. They won't need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun. Why not? For the Lord God will be their light. And this city and this world will be filled with the light of God's goodness, God's wisdom, God's glory, God's personhood. And they, his people, will reign on this new earth, in this new city. They will reign forever and ever as his servants. Not reign with the power-grasping, egotistical kind of reign we know in the middle of this story and the brokenness of the story. They will reign with humble, faithful, loyal service to their king. They will reign uh, over the world for the good of the earth, for the good of the animals, for the good of the plants, for the good of the people of the world. They will reign and they will be, in other words, the caretakers God created them originally to be. My friends, that's, that's where the story is going. That's That's the full circle of the story. Do you notice that? The story begins in a garden with a a river and a tree of life. And mankind uh, revolts against their creator and is banished from that garden. But the story through all the ups and downs, through all the plot twists and twists and turns of the biblical story, the story comes full circle. And God making all things new. And Eden is restored. Eden... uh, is restored, but better than ever. It's like Eden on steroids, right? Like it's the Garden of Eden. Now a garden city and a new world, and there is no more curse, and there's no more night, and there's nothing wrong. Everything will be the way it's supposed to be, and they will all live happily ever after. So we live in the in-between time. We live between the first tree and the final tree. We live between the trees where there was a garden of Eden and everything was perfect and everything was beautiful. But then by our own choices, we unleashed sin and death and brokenness and despair into this world. But there's a final day coming when that garden is going to be restored better than ever. And there will be a a river again lined with the tree of life for the healing of the nations. We live between the trees. And what makes the final tree possible is, if you will, a third tree in the middle of the story. In the middle of the story, Jesus, God himself, comes to this world and he's hung on a tree. 
He's hung on a Roman cross, also known as a tree. And he hangs there, taking the curse upon himself, Paul says in Galatians chapter 3, so that the curse can be dealt with once and for all, and exile can be eliminated, and all people can return back to their God, and they can live in intimate harmony with God like they did in the beginning, and like they will fully and finally in the end in that new city, that new place where God will be with them, and we will see his face. What makes that possible is that tree in the middle of the story, Jesus hanging on that tree, absorbing the, cr- the curse and dealing with sin and death and all of it for us so that evil can be vanquished once and for all. That's the story of the Bible in a nutshell. And that's where the story is going to end. And so as we live in this world um, with maybe remnants of the beauty of Eden, uh, beautiful places still. We live in a world, as G.K. Chesterton described it, a world that's like a, a shipwreck of what it once was, but we still see the former beauty and the former glory, and that points us forward to where we're going, to a new earth, more beautiful than we could have ever imagined, more tranquil, more harmonious, more wonderful than we can ever anticipate. That's where the story's going. And we look forward to that day because we are his people and we will reign with him forever and ever. Hey, thanks for joining me on this episode of the Bible and Life. Again, if you uh, want help getting started reading the Bible for yourself and, and learning the Bible and being changed by the Bible, I encourage you to go to johnwhitaker.net and check out that number one key to being changed by the Bible and just download that and take a look at that and begin to practice Uh, reading the Bible and praying through what you're reading on your own so that the Bible can become the centerpiece of your life and you could be changed by it. God bless you guys. We will see you in the next episode of The Bible and Life.